Well, uh, a survey was done just recently by um, Beyond Blue, which uh, listed the biggest worries or concerns that Australians have going into 2023. Uh, the top five concerns listed by Australians are uh, increasing interest rates, um, high inflation, uh, the cost of living, all kind of three financial ones together, uh, followed by the war in Ukraine, uh, and then number five was uh, what the future may hold. Uh, they were the top concerns or worries among Australians at the start of this new year. Uh, I wonder if as you hear that list, maybe some of those things resonate with you. Um, are they some things that are maybe keeping you up at night? Or maybe there's some other worries that you would have in your top five as you go into the new year. Um, we know, don't we, that being a Christian doesn't keep us safe from the general worries and concerns of life. Um, I mean, actually, there's sometimes extra worries that come because of being a Christian. Uh, I think that's what we see going on uh, in this church here that Paul writes to in 2 Thessalonians. Uh, for these believers in the Lord Jesus, as they live in the world, they experience all of the general worries and concerns of this life. Um, but along with those things, what we've seen so far is that in chap chapter 1, we saw how there were some people who were giving them trouble because they are Christians, uh, making life hard for them. And last week we saw how there was also some other trials or concerns going on within the church because of some false teaching that had made its way into the church. And so I think here is a church, and the picture that we get is that, well, as God's people living in the world, uh, they are struggling a bit. Uh, well, the Apostle Paul is well aware of the struggles that they're facing. And uh, what I think he does now in these verses is he writes these uh, few verses here that we're looking at today, and he writes to bring them some comfort. Uh, he writes to give thanks to God for them. And he writes in particular with the purpose of lifting their eyes and their thoughts above the general worries and concerns that they're having by reminding them of just how much God loves them. And uh, really it's my hope for us today that as we just uh, zoom in on these few verses here and as we think about how it is that how much God has loved us, uh, I'll hope that we will be encouraged to stand firm uh, that we would not let the worries of life um, choke out our faith, but that we would um, continue to hold fast to the good news that we have received. So really, uh, two main ideas that we're going to consider today. Uh, first, um, to really just unpack these first two verses, uh, to see how we have just been so greatly loved by God um, in the past, the present and the future. Uh, and in light of that, we're then encouraged, uh, we're urged to stand firm and to hold fast to the message of God's love that we have received. Now, um, where we finished last week, um, Paul had uh, told the Thessalonians that uh, things would actually get a little bit worse before they got better. Um, he told them, if you hear last week, we saw how he was telling them about Satan's activity in the world uh, and this coming of a, a man of lawlessness who would appear before the great and final day of the Lord Jesus. Um, so having last week told them about Satan's activity, well, this week Paul now uh, really turns around to tell them about God's activity because he doesn't want these precious believers to be too troubled about this man of lawlessness. Instead, he wants to say, be comforted by this, that there is a God 
who loves you, who has loved you from eternity past and uh, who continues to love you and will love you into the future. So verse 13, see what he says, but we always, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord. So Paul's really making contrast here between the people who he talked about last week in verse 12 uh, and the Thessalonians. Um, back in verse 12, uh, Paul referred to some people there who delighted in wickedness, uh, people who had not believed the truth, people who were condemned and who will perish. But Paul now wants to say to the Thessalonian believers, he wants to say, that is not you. Now you are in fact the opposite because rather than not believing the truth, you do believe the truth. And rather than being condemned by God, you are in fact loved by God. And he now goes on to reassure them of just how much God does love them by describing the way that God has expressed his love in the past, the present and even into the future. So it starts with God's love for them in the past. Uh, verse 13 there again, take a look at that. Uh, but we, always, uh, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved. So as we explore here how God has loved them in the past, uh, really two key words to notice. Firstly, the word chose. God chose you to be saved. Now, some people, um, I think, don't really like that idea that God chooses people to be saved. Um, and I think that's probably maybe the reason it's unpopular is because it implies that God chooses some and he doesn't choose others. And we might wonder why. Um, in this passage, Paul doesn't tell us why. Uh, instead, he just gives thanks to God that God did choose them. And I think similarly in the Old Testament, when God chooses, you think of how God chose Israel. He doesn't say why. Uh, why did he choose Israel from among all of the other nations? He simply says it was because he loved them, because he set his love on them and chose them to be his. So there's always going to be some mystery about uh, God's choice and his sovereignty in election. Um, but one thing that we notice uh, in the New Testament is that whenever this doctrine of uh, God's election or predestination is spoken of, the intent is always to bring comfort. That's always the context that it's in. And really that's the point of why Paul is saying that here in this section because it is in fact a wonderful truth that God chooses his people. It's a truth that carries with it great certainty and assurance of salvation. And that's the reason why Paul shares it here with the Thessalonians. Now Paul speaks about that, of course, in his other letters, um, in uh, the letter to the Ephesians, uh, Paul says that God actually chose his people in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now that means that he didn't choose you because of anything you did. He chose you before you even existed. So God didn't choose uh, people to be his because you know, they're particularly gifted uh, or because you know, you're good at having a quiet time or because you're a nice person or something like that. No, he chose you before the foundation of the world because he loved you. And the result of that is that it actually gives enormous security to our relationship with God. Because, see, if our relationship with God uh, depended on us or anything in us, I mean, that's the alternative... 
know, that God might save us, choose us because of our performance, well, that is actually a very unstable place to be. You know, if, if our relationship with God in any way depended on us being good or living up to a certain standard, well, I think that's a terrible place to be. But what Paul is here saying is that our salvation is not dependent on who we are and what we are like, but it's dependent on God, on who he is and what he is like, and his choice of his people even before the foundation of the world. Now what that means for us practically is that you don't have to feel anxious about God dropping you because of something you've done. He chose you to be saved. You don't have to feel worried about God rejecting you if you fail to perform in the future. He chose you to be saved. Now one of the things that uh, I love about summer, of course, is watching the cricket. Um, But I imagine for the players, you know, there's this constant pressure, isn't there, to perform. And if they don't keep performing, then, well, before long, they're actually going to get dropped from the team. But friends, being one of God's people is not like that. Because God didn't choose you because of anything you have done or will do in the future. He chose you because he loves you. He set his love on you and said, you are mine. And so that's the first key word here, God chose us to be saved. Now the second word to notice there is this word um, first fruits. God chose you as first fruits to be saved. Now what does that mean? Well it could mean, um, you know, that God chose us before the foundation of the world in the beginning but uh, it's probably more the idea of being the very first part of the harvest. And what Paul is saying here is that as he writes to those presently uh, in the Thessalonian church, well, they are the first, uh, but there's many more who God has chosen who will believe the gospel and who will become part of his people. Uh, My sister and I, we often um, compare different things uh, that we are growing in our gardens. Uh, Last week, I should have put on the screen, it's not that impressive, but she sent me a photo of her uh, raspberry bush, um, which she planted last year. And um, she's just had her first harvest. And uh, the harvest this year was a total of two raspberries. But, you know, that's, that's the first fruits. And next year there'll be more. And the year after there'll be even more. And that's what this idea means. That even though some, as we heard last week in Thessalonica, had rejected the gospel, well, this idea of first fruits means that the gospel as it goes out will continue to bear fruit. And the way that it does that, well, Paul now describes as we keep reading. Um, Because the love of God for his people, it's not just in the past, we now see how it works out in the present as well. So take a look at the second half of this verse, uh, verse 13. Uh, God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Now, one idea that um, people sometimes suggest, and I think I used to think this, um, to kind of get around that thought of God uh, sovereignly choosing people, um, is to suggest that God uh, chooses really only in the sense that he looks forward into the future and he sees who it is who is going to choose them, choose him or to believe in the gospel, and so he chooses them. Does that make sense? So God's uh, election or his choice is really no more than his foreknowledge of what is going to happen in the future. 
But I would want to say that is actually far too weak a view of what God actually does to save us. And we see it really spelled out here in these verses because what we're told here is that God doesn't just look into the future and see who's going to pick him anyway and choose them. No, he actively works in people so that they do rightly respond to him. Or in the words of this verse, verse 13, it says, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. In other words, those who God chooses, well, he gives them his spirit so that they do respond rightly to him. Those he chooses, he gives them his spirit so that they do believe in the truth. Uh, It's it's, um, stated slightly differently in verse 14 when he writes that he called you to this through our gospel. Now, there's another word uh, worth exploring, um, that word called. You know, it's a word which um, some people... Uh, often used to say they might might feel called to a particular vocation. Um, Sometimes ministers and missionaries talk like that. They feel called to be in ministry. But really the the main way the Bible uses that phrase in the New Testament especially is in the sense that we are called to be Christians. That's the first calling. God calls you to belong to him. What you do for him after that is really another matter. But the main calling is to believe the truth and become one of his people. And that's how Paul is using that phrase here in verse 14. And again, it emphasises God's involvement, his hands-on, how hands-on God is in people being saved. Because if we are left to ourselves in our own sinful nature, well, we don't see the beauty of the gospel. We don't value who Jesus is and what he has done. We don't understand the cross. But when God gives us his spirit, well, his spirit opens our eyes so that it makes sense, so that we believe. And again, I want to say this brings enormous comfort because as you look back on your life and you think about how it was that you were saved, now how it came about that you were called to believe the truth, well, what this is showing us is that none of that was an accident. No, it didn't happen by chance. It wasn't an accident that you just happened to grow up in a Christian family. It didn't just happen by chance that that friend invited you along to that youth meeting where you first heard about Jesus. It wasn't just a coincidence that your workmate uh, told you about how they, they go to church and you started coming along. And it wasn't that you were particularly smart and that's why you believed the gospel Now, God has been shaping and directing our lives in ways that we are not even aware of so that in his timing we would hear and respond and become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. He chose us in eternity past and by his spirit he has been at work in your life in the present. But as we continue, there's even more. Because God's love for his people is reflected not just in what he did in the past and in the present, but look now at what he's also going to do in the future. Uh, Verse 14, uh, he called you to this through our gospel so that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, how will God's love be expressed for you in the future? Well, like we heard last week, when the day of the Lord comes, the day when Jesus appears in splendour and his people will be gathered to him, well, they will share in his glory. 
And so, friends, can you start to get a sense here from these verses of how much God loves you? From eternity past, God chose you to be saved. Then in this present life, he has called you. He has caused you to hear the gospel. He has caused you to believe the truth by his spirit. And in all of this, it's for the purposes of sharing in Christ's glory into the future. There are only a couple of short verses here, aren't they? But put them together and it creates this enormous picture of what God does for his people and the extent of his love for them. Through no merit of our own, God chose us before we existed. And then when we came into existence, he has shaped our lives, shaped our minds and our thinking so that in his time we would respond to the gospel. And it is all of God and there's tremendous security in that. The things that he's done to save us. I mean, can you get just a glimmer of how much you must mean to him? How much he loves you? I mean, here is a love that should not only amaze us, but I think here also is a love that should also spring us into action. Uh, this is something that we, we, we must respond to this. Um, Paul gives one suggestion now in verse 15 um, of how we should respond. He says, So then, <clears throat> brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. What's Paul here instruct them to do? He says, Stand firm and hold fast. Stand firm and hold fast to the gospel. Hold on to this gospel of the love of God for you. Hold on to this gospel of how God has demonstrated his love in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hold on because there's going to be times when you'll be tempted to let go of it. I mean, Jesus spoke about that, didn't he, in the parable of the sower. He said that the worries of this life will come and will threaten to choke the word that we have received. Uh, worries will come, and if you're like most Australians, worries will come which will tempt us to think that it's more important to build our financial security rather than finding our security in God. Worries will come which will tempt you to think that Jesus is just not worth the effort, that it's better to put more time into the, the job or the family or the sport or the hobby rather than growing in Jesus in the year ahead. You know, worries will come which will tempt us to keep our heads down in those conversations because it's, it's easier to just fly under the radar rather than being known as a Christian. Worries will come which will tempt us to hold on to other things and find our hope and security in them. But Paul says, stand firm and hold on to this, this incredible news, this gospel of God's great love for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. You might have heard this uh, illustration before. Maybe you've uh, experienced this in a shop. But uh, when, a, when a jeweller wants to um, show off a diamond and um, just how good it is, uh, you might have seen that they always set it against a, a black background to increase the contrast so that you see just how amazing and how brilliant it is. 
And really, I think that's what Paul is doing in this passage. Against the backdrop of all of the troubles and the struggles of our life, well, he wants us to see how brilliant is the gospel that we have heard. He wants us to see that so that we don't let go of it for other things, but that we will stand firm in it and hold fast to it. And so he now finishes with a prayer about that in verse 16. He prays, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Friends, this week when the worries of life raise their head, where are you going to look to for encouragement and strength? Now, when the bills start to pile up and you feel the stress, where's your encouragement and strength going to come from? When the sickness comes or the the chronic pain won't go away, I mean, where, where is your encouragement and strength going to come from? When the pace of life in this new year starts to pick up and there's a million decisions to make, and where is our encouragement and strength going to come from? When friends or family members, people around us let us down, maybe when you let yourself down and you start to feel the guilt, I mean, where is our encouragement and strength going to come from? Well, friends, it comes from a God who has loved us from eternity past to eternity future. It comes from a God who by his grace has given us eternal encouragement and good hope in the news that he did not spare even his own son but gave him up for us all. It comes from a God who chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Encouragement and strength comes from the fact that one day you will share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, brothers and sisters, in 2023, stand firm and hold on to that. Let me pray that God would help us to do that. Father God, we uh, do want to, just in response to these uh, verses today, Lord, we want to say thank you for your great love toward us, for how we can see all that you have planned and all that you have done so that we might be your people. And Father, we pray that you would continue to be at work in us by your spirit, shaping us and changing us and filling us with eternal encouragement and good hope. And strengthen our hearts and encourage us, we pray, in every good deed and word. And we ask those things in Jesus' name. Amen.